Well, life on the lake can be very dangerous. Some of you probably know that, don't you? The last two weeks, uh, weekends in uh, November, goodness sakes, in July, uh, we're going to do a, a two-part mini-series, and we're going to be talking about life on the lake. And we're going to be looking at two incidences that happened on my favorite lake in the entire world, which is the lake called Lake Gennesaret, or you and I know it as the Sea of Galilee. I've had the joy of being in it, on it, and um, it's been some of the most enjoyable times of my life. And the first incident that we're going to look at, um, we're going to do a little differently. We're going to reimagine it, okay? And so I'm going to ask you uh, to participate as we start the message out. I'm going to actually ask you to, to role play a little bit with me. And your job is to be the crowd that had gathered on the very edge of the Sea of Galilee where Jesus was teaching. So while you get yourself in character, I'm going to go get Peter. Uh, look at that. There's another crowd. See you, Galilee. Uh, wherever Yeshua goes, always people. Yeah. I have to fix my nets. Uh, look at this. Some more knots. Fished all night, caught nothing. Uh, Yeshua. I've never heard anybody teach like him. <laughs> what a teacher. He says he's Messiah. I don't know. He keeps asking me to follow him. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yes, Yeshua. Yeah, I see. It's a big crowd. Yes. Huh? They're, yeah, they are a bit pushy. Yeah, I see. They're pressing you toward the water. You want to use my boat? Yeah, okay. Out a little ways so you can speak to them? Sure. Yes. Yeshua, please uh, get in my boat. I'll hold it there for you. You in? Okay. I'll get back here. You know, I was out fishing all night. Caught nothing. But uh, anyway, okay. So, out. Okay. All right. I'll do that for you. Let me get my net out of the way here, Yeshua. Yes. It's a mess. There you go. All right. Uh, uh, that's enough? Okay, all right. You teach, I'll listen. <laughs> they will listen. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what to do. I, he keeps saying, follow me. But he's so young. <laughs> but he's so wise. He keeps saying, trust me. I'm Messiah. But he's so young. <laughs> but he's so wise. He's also pushy. He changed my name. Now he takes over my boat. <laughs> Next thing you know, he's going to tell me how to fish. You're finished? Okay. Uh, I'll put us back into shore. You, you don't want to go back? What do you want to do, Yeshua? Out there? That's the deep. You want to go fishing? <laughs> Yeshua, please. You are a carpenter. You build furniture. 
I am a fisherman. My father was a fisherman. My grandfather was a fisherman. I know how to fish. Yeshua, I don't tell you how to build furniture. I, I know how to fish. And I fished all night, caught nothing. We don't fish in the day. We, f we fish at night in a shallow area where the fish are eating the food and they cannot see our nets. There's nothing in the deep. Uh, you want to go in the deep, okay. Whatever you say. Uh, we won't catch anything, but what did I say? I said, I hope we catch something. <laughs> yes. Further into deep, Yeshua, okay, okay, you're the boss, hey, go out. Is that far enough? Okay. Drop the net. I don't know what my friends are going to think when they see me do this. Okay. But, uh, which side? This side. Okay, all right. Whoa! John, James, come out! Uh, fish, fish, hurry! The net is breaking! Ah! Oh no, 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 no. Oh, Yeshua. Yeshua, leave me. I am such a sinner. No? You still want, you still want me? Yes, I, I want to follow you. Will I leave this behind? Yes, I will. You're reading this morning from Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. In honor of God's word, let me invite you to stand. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were, wa were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing, but if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full that the nets began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners from other boats, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Lord, Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For Simon was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partner, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything 
And they followed Jesus. Please be seated. Well, that was kind of fun, wasn't it? Um, hope you're applauding for yourself. You guys did an amazing job. I've never seen a better crowd. You know, sometimes uh, I, we treat the stories in the Bible like they're fables, or, or we go the opposite direction, and, and they become very sterile to us. We know they're true, but we act as though the characters are otherworldly, meaning, you know, that there's, they were just like, had halos over their heads. And I think it's really important for us to remember that these are, these are true stories, and these are true people just like you and me. And so you, sometimes, you know, you have to put yourself into the story. And you have to imagine, what would it be like for me? Because <clears throat> whatever it would be like for you, it probably was like that for them. It was radical. Life on the lake. You know, those of us who live here in Minnesota, I mean, we can easily get to a lake, right? We can see it. We can be in it. We can be on it. And as I mentioned earlier, my favorite lake is, is Gennesaret. It's the Sea of Galilee. I've been in it. I've been on it. been beside it. My most favorite times, whether it's the uh, uh, Sea of Galilee or Lake Minnetonka or Lake Minnewashta or whatever lake is around, my favorite times are always in the morning when it's nice and flat and calm and in the evening, the sunset, when it lays back down again. It's just a great environment. It's a great place to be just to think and just to pray and just to be still. But when Jesus shows up to the lake called Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee, it's no longer a still lake. I mean, Peter loved the lake. It was his life. He was a fisherman. He'd spent all his life in, on, near that lake. And all of a sudden, when Jesus shows up, he makes everything very uncomfortable in Peter's life. Now, please don't misunderstand me when I say this, but the same thing is true for you and for me. Whenever Jesus shows up in our life, he makes it a little bit uncomfortable. What I mean by that is Jesus has a habit of disturbing our lives, of rocking our boats, of disrupting our plans. And not to hurt us, but because he loves us and because he wants us to experience something incredible that we can't otherwise experience if we don't let him into our lives. You see, Jesus loves to take us into the deep. And we struggle with the deep. Peter struggled with that whole thing his whole life. Why does Jesus do that? Why does, he, why does he take us in the deep? Well, if you go back to the story, he took Peter into the deep because that's where the fish were. But Peter's whole life experience on the lake told him that that is not where the fish are. The fish are in the shallows. They're there at night. They're feeding. You put your net in. They can't see the filaments of the net. You catch your fish. You don't go out into the deep. There are no fish there. That's what he believed. That's what he thought. He was the expert. He knew how to fish. He knew the lake. Jesus was a carpenter. And besides, the shallows are safe. 
The shallows are that place where if somehow, where you're trying to reel in your nets, you stumble and fumble around and fall in, it's not hard to get back in the boat. It's not hard to wade into the shore. But the deep, that's a different story. The deep is dangerous. And by the way, the Sea of Galilee is about 14 miles long, top to bottom, north to south, and about nine miles wide, wide east to west. But it has, it has at its deepest point, it's about 120 feet deep. And because it's like a bowl in a canyon, sometimes when there's a certain kind of wind coming in from the north, it gets channeled into these canyons and explodes on the lake, and it literally turns this little lake into white-capped lake. I mean, the waves are immense. It's a dangerous place to be. And so you always tried to, you always tried to stay in the shallows. You didn't want to go into the deep. So, so why, is, why does Jesus push Peter into the deep? Well, we said, because the fish are in the deep. You say, well, that's wonderful. What does that mean for me? I don't really like the fish. What's the spiritual lesson in that for all of us? Well, the spiritual lesson is simply this. The blessings, the blessings that God has for you are always in the deep. Not in the shallows. They're in the deep of his word. They're in the deep of prayer. They're in the deep of of faith. Listen, they're in the deep of suffering. They're in the deep of trials. They're in the deep of the unknown. And, you know, we don't want to go into that deep. We want to stay in the shallows because the shallows feel so safe to us. I have some ideas here for you about why it is we resist going into the deep. And one of the things that I wrote down here is that one of the the reasons why we resist the deep is because we try, you know, it's our nature to try to preserve the present and stay in our comfort zones. Now, as as I've gotten older through years, I've, I've come to realize I am becoming a creature of habit. I kind of like to pride myself on change and being willing to do new things. But as I'm getting older, I, I eat the same two flavors of ice cream. I run I'm on the same trails. In fact, I was running the other day, and I thought, why am I running on the same trails all the time? Um, I go get up about the same time. I go to bed about the same time. I eat at the same restaurants. And it's just like, wow, how did, why, is my life, why do I like predictability so much in my life? It's because, it's because if something goes wrong, I don't have to be afraid of all the unknown things because at least I know where I am, I know what I'm doing, I can then deal maybe with some of these other things. But if I'm in a totally unfamiliar place, it's a lot more, it's a lot more challenging. Anybody else besides me feel that way? Good, all right. And I feel alone. But can you imagine what would happen if Abraham had said, nope, I'm staying in Ur of Chaldees. I'm not going to that unknown place called Canaan. Or what if Moses and, and the children of Israel said, no, we're going to stay here in Egypt. It's not easy. We don't like it. But at least we know when we're going to be fed, when we're going to get up, when we're going to go to bed. What if Jesus had said, no, I'm staying here with the Father. I'm not going down there. I'm not going to go into that deep mess down there called the world, the earth. One of the things that has always stood out in my mind is from a study that Marsha and I uh, led our church in California through many, many years ago. It was by a guy named Henry Blackaby called Experiencing God. Anybody know that study? Okay, so the thing I, I remember out of the entire study that stuck with me ever since is this statement. Henry Blackaby says, you cannot stay where you are and go with God. And that's absolutely true. 
You cannot stay where you are and go with God. And God is a going God. If you've ever wondered to yourself, why is God always on the move? Well, one of the reasons he's on the move is because he's taking us through this journey that's going to culminate, as we learned in our last series, in spending eternity together with him. But another reason why God is always on the move is that the longer we stand still, the more comfortable we become with where we are, and then we fall into idolatry. We idolize our circumstances, particularly if they're good circumstances or enjoyable circumstances. But that, that's just one reason why we like the shallows. You know, a lot of times we also like the shallows in our relationships. What I mean by that is, have you ever, have you ever had a situation where you need to have a hard conversation with a family member, a coworker, an employee, or a neighbor, or somebody like that? Anybody? We've all been there, haven't we? And for some of us, we just don't like having the hard conversations. We would just rather stay in the shallows of the relationship and not, and not say anything. And, you know, what we end up doing is making more harm than good causing more problems than not. But, you know, in our Minnesota nice culture, for those of us in Minnesota, we just kind of want to avoid the conflict, don't we? A third reason why we like to stay in the shallows, in all, in all honesty, is because there, there are some folks that just enjoy, you know, life being mediocre <laughs> rather than, than doing and giving their best. I always think about Joseph. You know, in, in the Old Testament, Joseph went through some really deep, difficult, dark situations. But whether he was a slave or whether he was in prison or in a pit, you know, Joseph always gave God his best. He could not settle, he could not settle for mediocre. And unfortunately, we live in a culture in a day today where people are so hopeless, they're just, they're just deciding, I'm just going to live a life of mediocrity. Some of us prefer the shallows because what we want is instant gratification. I want it now. We don't want to have to wait a long time. We don't want delayed, delayed rewards, delayed return on our investment. We want it right now. And some of us stay in the shallows. Listen to this. Some of us stay in the shallows because we, are, we live in fear of failure. Do you know why we live in fear of failure? Because we have these expectations either we create for ourselves or we imagine others create for us or others literally create for us. And we're so afraid that we won't meet our own expectations or their expectations that we just choose to play it safe and live in the shallows. And we take that attitude, that mindset, it keeps us from reaping and pulling in the blessings that God wants to bring into our lives. And so what needs to happen in our lives, listen to this, we need to become unshackled from ourselves. I want you to think about that for a moment. Maybe even jot that down, unshackled from myself. I am, you are your greatest weight. Your greatest holdback is you. Don't blame anybody else. It's you. Nobody else holds us back. We hold ourselves back. And in order to go forward with God, I need to take those shackles off. You're saying, what do you mean by unshackling ourselves? Well, look at Peter. Peter's boat, and I don't mean his physical boat, but his soul is about to get rocked by Jesus. If you go back to the story, 
between the time that Peter throws his net out and hauls it back in and finds himself sitting in those flipping, flopping fish and saying to Jesus, leave me, I am such a sinner, three things happen. One, Peter's lack of faith and trust are exposed. He thought he was a better fisherman than Jesus. I think Peter saw, him more, saw himself more as a partner with Jesus and, and probably saw Jesus more as a peer, maybe a superior peer, but kind of a peer at this point. The second thing that happens is Jesus reveals his power and his sovereignty. He can even catch fish in the deep. And the third thing that happens is Peter discovers humility and the need to surrender which is the hardest thing for any of us. And that's what leads him to say to Jesus, leave me, Yeshua, leave me, I'm such a sinner. Because in that moment, he discovered more about himself than he'd ever known before. You know, there's something about when you get close to God, there's something, there's something that happens the closer you get to God the more unworthy you, you see yourself, the more you realize how, how sinful, how, if I can use this term, how bad you really are. Which, by the way, is one of the reasons why a lot of people don't like God and don't like the Bible. Because we live in a time and age when it's not about how bad I am, it's about how good I am. And it's, it's, it's what I deserve, and it's, it's how you should view me, and, and it's all about inflating myself and proving myself, and everybody is good, and everybody's okay, and the reality is, no, they're not. <laughs> Look at our world. If they were, we wouldn't be living in the world that we're living in today. We are not okay. We are not in good shape. We are sinful. We are evil. Jeremiah says our hearts are so evil, we don't even know how evil our hearts are. But you don't know how evil your heart is. You won't even have a sense of how evil it is if you don't, if you don't make God your measure. And when Peter starts to realize that, that, that Jesus is God, he begins to realize that he is not. <laughs> I've been uh, listening to a devotional and reading it as well uh, called uh, Devotions for a Deeper Life. Devotions for a Deeper Life by Oswald Chambers. It's just short little devotionals each day, and it's, it's just very convicting. I usually listen to it on my way into church uh, on, on, in the mornings early. And I, I heard him say this, uh, and, I, and then I, I got the little book out, and I copied this. And I want you to listen very carefully, because if you don't get anything else out of today, I hope you'll, get, you'll, you'll learn something from this. Oswald Chambers writes, he says, If you think that your obedience, your repentance, or your morality is going to get you nearer to Jesus, you are making a mistake. When I, when I heard that and then read that, I thought, wow, that, that's not how most of us think. Most of us figure out that if I'm obedient, if I'm repentant, if I try to live a really moral life, that, that that's going to impress God, that's going to please God. But Chambers says that's a mistake. He says, intimacy with Christ comes only by abandoning yourself to him. Your crying to God will not save you. Surrendering your possessions will not save you. You may give God everything you like and still be damned. God never asked you to give him anything. Think about that for a moment. God never asked me or you to give him anything but your will. But your will. And that's what he was after in Peter's life. 
That's why he took him into the deep, because he wanted Peter's will. And that's the only thing God wants from you, is your will. And that is one of the hardest things for us to give up, is our will. We are reluctant to hand it over because our will and our pride are intertwined. They're one and the same thing. But I want you to watch something. You know, nobody made Peter feel worse about himself than Jesus. (laughs) And nobody made him feel more affirmed than Jesus. Isn't that interesting? It's like I got to own my sinfulness. And then I can receive and experience his grace. So nobody ever made him feel worse about himself. And nobody ever made him feel more affirmed about himself other than Jesus. Remember what Jesus said to him? Daniel read it, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed him. In other words, what Jesus said to Peter is, I see all your flaws. I see all your shortcomings. And listen, Peter, I still want you on my team. I'm so glad he said that to Peter because that means he can say it to anybody here. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter where you've been. No matter how bad you've been or bad you are, he loves you and he wants you on your team But he also wants you to get to that place in your life where you surrender your will to him. And until that happens, you're never going to know his blessings. Why is it so hard for us to surrender our will to God? Well, it's a little bit of a repeat of what I said, but I'm just saying it a different way. One of the reasons is because we love autonomy and control. How many of you love control besides me? You all do admit it, right? We all like to be in control. Now, I'm okay. I'm okay with not being in control when everything's in control. You know what I mean, Heather? When everything's going the way it should, God, you're in control. But I'll tell you what, take me into the deep, throw me. I'll tell you a quick little story. Years ago, we went whitewater rafting on the New River in uh, uh, West Virginia. Marsha was with me. It was in the fall, the Gauley River. They let the dam out. We're talking class five and six rapids. You have, to have, you have to have experience before you go on it. We had some experience. And you're sitting on the edge, and it's this guy ahead of me. We went over this, this thing called Pillow, I think it's called Pillow Rock or Pillow Falls. It's literally like a waterfall, and the raft goes down, and there's this guy who was who, part of our group, went to our church. He's a big guy, and he falls back on me because the boat goes straight up like this as it hits the next wave. And when he fell on me, it knocked me out of the boat. I want to tell you something. I don't think, I don't think you could have had a stopwatch and used it quick enough. It was like a miracle. It was a resurrection out of the water. I shot straight out of that water and back into that boat, man. I'm telling you what, it was so quick. It was, I, was, I was so afraid. I, I just went into freak control. I was going to save myself. I was going to do whatever it took to get back in that boat. And, you know, that's what happens to us, isn't it? When we get into unfamiliar circumstances and situations, you know, we can say, God, you control all we like, but get us into an unsettled situation. What's the first thing we try to do? Man, I got to get control, right? And it's so hard in those moments, you know, after I find out I have cancer or after, you know, there's a relational issue, a financial issue, a job issue, or whatever it is, okay? It is so hard to simply say, okay, God, you control I'm going to keep my hands off this. I'm going to, I'm going to trust you in what you're doing. 
Secondly, we fear, you know, we fear fear and uncertainty. It's not where we like to live. And, you know, one of the other things is, is we're all into attachment and desire. We get attached to places geographically. We get attached to things materially. We get attached to people. We, we have certain desires that we like how they're being met. And when God says detach and let go of those things, let go of those relationships, let go of those places, and trust me, that's hard for us to do. We resist sometimes personal transformation. We are people of habits. We like our habits. You know, we like how we do things. And when God says, I want to break that habit, I don't want you to do it that way, we resist that. And, you know, I think about our younger generation, and I think about the tremendous influence externally on their lives right now to live the way of the world. You know, to, I don't know if you've ever been in a rushing stream. It is really hard to walk the other way. Because the force is coming at you so hard to turn around and walk that way when the current's going this way, that's hard to do. It's hard to do. But God says it's in those moments that I, I want you to abandon your will to me. I want you to trust me. I want you to believe that I'm in control. Now watch this, okay? So Jesus takes Peter out in the deep, and Peter catches more fish than he's ever caught in his life. Now, knowing Peter and knowing myself, I might be tempted to say to Jesus, hey, Yeshua, I have an idea. We're going to start a partnership. It's going to be Peter and Yeshua Fishing, Inc. And I can imagine Jesus going, hey, babe. And then Peter goes, okay, all right, Yeshua and Peter Fishing, Inc. We will be partners. God's not interested in a partnership. In fact, something that God oftentimes does, we see it in the scriptures and we see it in our lives, I've seen it in my life, is God will give us success and then ask us to leave the success behind and go into something where we have to totally trust in him again. Why does he do that? Why does he let us live in our success? It's because we have a tendency to turn God's successes into our achievements and commit idolatry with them. Let me talk about the clergy for a moment, because I'm one of them, I guess. I don't like that name, clergy, but anyway. You know, as we look at church world these days, we have seen and heard over the last, you know, dozen or more years, pastors of notoriety who have fallen, who have failed. You know, one of the things that always boggles my mind is like, what happened? How did this go so wrong? Some of them were, you know, mentors from afar. I, I, I've been, you know, in the presence of some of them. It's like, what happened? I, I looked up to this person. What went wrong? And I think what went wrong is God gave them success like he gave David success and others in the Bible success. But then the success went to their minds, their heads, and it became their achievement. And what they did is they left God behind. It was all about what they did, what they accomplished. Sometimes God does us a tremendous favor by saying, you know, I gave, I gave you success here. Now I leave that behind. And I want, I want you to trust me here. And let's do something brand new, something different. See, God doesn't want us to stay in the shallows because in the shallows is where we commit idolatry and get ourselves into all kinds of trouble. In the shallows is where, when God's given us success or whatever it is, it's where we start to then form our identity. Now, if I were to ask you, who are you? What's your identity today? How would you answer that question? Some would say, well, my identity is I'm a great businesswoman. I'm a great businessman. 
My identity is I'm good looking. My identity is I have these abilities. I, I'm, a, I'm really smart. My identity is I'm really strong. I'm really athletic. My identity is I belong to this person, this family. My identity is my spouse and my marriage. My identity is my church and my ministry. And on and on it goes. You know, God doesn't want any of that to be our identity. He wants to be our identity. And that's why he's always moving us along. So we'll always stay focused and connected and reliant on him. Here at Wooddale Church, we say that the best definition of a follower of Jesus comes right out of this passage in Matthew 4.19 when Jesus says, come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. There are three things there. First one is this. Who am I? I'm a follower of Jesus. That means I'm walking where his footsteps are. Secondly, He's always changing me. A true disciple of Jesus is always being changed by Jesus. We never arrive. And thirdly, a true disciple of Jesus is someone who's on mission with him. I'm following him. He's changing me, and I'm pursuing his mission, which is to bring the hope of the gospel here, near, and far. That's what it's all about. That's my identity. Are you okay with that identity in your life? Are you okay with just being, hey, just being a follower of Jesus? Because that's what he's called you and me to be, is simply be his follower. So I want to I end by telling you a story about one of our global partners. <clears throat> I want to protect them, so I'm going to change their names to Brian and Rachel. That's not their names, but that's the name we'll get them. Uh, Brian and Rachel were Minnesotans. Um, they uh, had careers ahead of them, a dream home ahead of them, um, lots, you know, lots of plans like all of us do. And God began to point something out in their hearts that, that they had an issue with a certain people group, Muslims, that their hearts weren't right toward the Muslim people. And, and they became very convicted about that and felt like they needed to do something about it. So they actually went and visited the Middle East. And while they were there on this short-term experience, they fell in love by God's grace with the Muslim people and felt like we want to reach them. So on the flight home to, to Minneapolis, as they started talking about this and were thinking about it, all of a sudden they, you know, they got, um, they got uncomfortable. Their boat was starting to get a bit rocked, and they thought, man, if we move to the Middle East, that means we leave family, we leave friends, raise our kids in a different environment. You know, we've got our dream home we've built, and we won't have our dream home. And, and they were really starting to question things, and all of a sudden, okay, this, this really happened, okay? I know this couple. Somebody uh, sitting next to them, an Arab woman started speaking Arabic to them. And they, they didn't understand Arabic. They're wondering, like, what is she saying? And the other woman that's near them says, I, I speak Arabic and I can tell you what she's saying. And, and I have quotes right here. What she's saying is, she thinks you are Arab. <laughs> and Rachel said, well, please tell her, you know, our eyes may look like it or the, or the color of our skin, but we are not Arabic. And so she tells this Arabic woman what Rachel just said. And then this woman keeps talking to them. And, and Rachel's like, well, what is she saying now? And the woman translates. She goes, it's hard for me to translate, but, it, but here's what she's saying. You know you are Arab. And that was it. They needed no more sign or transcendent moment to communicate to them that God wanted them to go to the Middle East. 
They came home, lived in the dream house for six months, sold everything, moved away from the lakes, <laughs> moved away from family, moved away from friends, went to a place in the Middle East that is very dangerous, very difficult, very hot, very poor, and they call it home. And God's blessing and using them in a powerful way, and hearts and lives are being changed for Jesus, all because... All because they said, not my will, but your will be done. You know, Jesus came to this earth, and he said to his father, he prayed to his father three times, please remove this cup of suffering from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he went to the cross, and he died for our sins. He gave up his will so that God's will could be fulfilled in you and me. I have a simple question for you today, very simple question. Are you willing to surrender your will to God today? Let's pray. Father, help us, I pray. Help us to live surrendered lives to you. I want you to do me a favor with your heads bowed for a moment. I just want you to cup your hands together and, and I want you to pretend that it's a boat. Would you do that for me? Right? Just, just hold it in your lap, that's all. And while you're doing that for a moment, I, just, I, I, want, I want you to imagine everything in your life is in that boat. I want you to think about the relationships, your children, your spouse, your friends, your grandkids, if you have grandkids. I want you to think about all the possessions that you have in your life, your car, house, condo, apartment. I want you to think about the money that you have, your savings, checking, investments, wherever it might be. I want you to think about your job, think about your health. And I want you to think about everything that defines who you are and what you have is, is in that little boat on your lap. Would you be willing to surrender it all to God? Would you be willing to just lift it up toward him and say, Lord, my boat is your boat. Lord, if you want to rock my boat, rock my boat. Take me deeper to a place of absolute surrender and trust to you. In Jesus' name, amen.